This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Well, hello, and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study gathering. First Wednesday, first Wednesday night of each month. I caught it in time. Uh, we have everything from little kids all the way up through, and, and we're glad that you're here tonight. We're also uh, doing a baptismal service tonight at the end. Some people are, who have chosen to give their lives to Christ are going to follow in baptism. We're excited about that. Greetings to our campuses over in Appleton, Stevens Point. Good to have you guys with us. Uh, let's take a look at the scriptures tonight before we get into the whole baptism service, all right? I want to read to you from John, the third chapter, verse 16. Probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible besides, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then in Acts, the 16th chapter, verse 31, uh, the apostle Paul was talking to this jailer who was shocked at uh, how God had delivered these guys from prison. He asked, what, how, do, how do I get saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. So according to these two verses, what does one have to do in order to be saved? Believe. believe. All right, so. So if you believe, that's how one gets saved. Well, let's look at Romans, the 10th chapter, verses 9 and 10. Paul writing to the Roman church, he says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are, what? Saved. saved. Jesus said in Matthew, the 10th chapter, verses 32 and 33, Whoever acknowledges me, before others. I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven, but whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. So according to these two scriptures, what must one do to be saved? Believe and confess, profess, acknowledge, say it. You got to say it. You got to say it. You can't just say, well, I believe it in my heart. But the Bible says if you believe, yeah, but then these verses add something extra. You got to be able to say it. You have to be able to profess it with your mouth. All right. 
Well, then in Mark, the 16th chapter, verse 16, Jesus, it is recorded before he ascended back into heaven, said this, whoever believes and is baptized will be what? Saved. All right. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Yeah. Peter writes about this, and this water symbolized. Now, he's talking about when the children of Israel went through the Red Sea. They parted, you know, Cecil B. DeMille, get the waters back, and you saw the movie, right? So then I got to the other side, and he says, well, this water, this Red Sea, symbolizes baptism that now, what? Saves you also. Okay, I'm getting a little confused here. Saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, which we hope you did that before you came tonight. <clears throat> but it is what it is. Uh, but of a clear conscience towards God, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's the resurrection of Jesus, but it, what is the it that he's talking about? Baptism. Pay attention, class. All right. So now he's saying that he who believes and is baptized will be saved. All right. All right. So we got believe. Then we got other verses that say, well, you believe, and then you have to say it. In other words, that say, well, you got to believe, and you have to be baptized. Okay. Keep up, class. Here we go. Then Peter, it is recorded in the second chapter of Acts, Acts of the Apostles. This is the book of the Bible that records the early history of the Christian church and what happened. Kind of fills in the blanks. You know, what happened after Jesus left? How did we get to where we are today? You know, what happened then? So Peter is speaking to all these people who just saw, ooh, ooh. can you hear that? There, you fixed it. Give our sound man a hand. Woohoo! Well, that's fast, man. You're right on it. Woo! Usually takes me 20 minutes to get a sound man to get rid of that when I travel around. Sorry, I have the attention span of a fly. <clears throat> there you go. <coughs> what am I talking about? I have no idea. Uh, repent. Oh, so uh, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. So, the Holy Spirit has come, and everybody sees these guys speaking in tongues, and they're hearing them in languages that they didn't know how to speak, but yet they were speaking, and they're all freaking out. What does this mean? And he tells them what it means, and he says, well, what do we got to do about it? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So now, it's not just enough to be baptized. You have to what and be baptized? Repent. What does that mean? Oh, we're getting in the weeds here. It's getting more complicated. Started out believing. That was easy. <laughs> now we've got to repent, which means to turn away from the way that you're living and turn towards God. All right? Because without Christ, we're all living for ourselves. You've got to turn away from that, repent, and turn to God. In Acts, the third chapter, verse 19, again, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. All right. So what do we got so far? We got, you got to believe. You got to say it. Yep. Okay. You've got to 
be baptized, and you need to repent. All right. Now we got it all, right? Nay, nay. I say unto thee, nay. All right. Then, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, Jesus says, you will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be what? Saved. Matthew 24, 13, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So now we've added something else. You've got to now stick with this. You've got to stand to the end to be saved. All right, that's five. Let's look at John, the third chapter. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night, and the reason he came at night is he didn't really want anybody seeing him come around. You know, the uh, Jewish leaders of the day, they were impressed by Jesus, but no one really wanted to be seen with him. You know, it was like, you know, negative political repercussions from that. So he sneaks in at night and he comes to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. And then Jesus just ignores what he's talking about and cuts right to the chase. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Well, Nicodemus says, well, how can someone be born when they're old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. <sighs> Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying that you must be born again. I talked about this a few Sundays ago, talking about how we are all made in the likeness and image of God. God, three, but really just one, but three. I mean, try to get your head around all that. But if you stop and think about it, we are the same thing because we are made in the image of God. We have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. And uh, what happens because of the sin of uh, Adam and Eve uh, when they God warned them and said, look, don't, don't, you can do anything, just don't eat of the one tree. And undoubtedly, they went there within a half hour, you know, go check it out. And he says, if you do it, the day you do it, you will die. Well, they did it, and they weren't dead. Well, not physically, but they were dead spiritually. That spirit part of them died. And ever since then, every man, woman, and child has ever been born, you know, every man, all children have been born, though they were all people. No one's been born, a man. Uh, has been born, stillborn. And everyone can tell it. You know, if people are honest, people will admit, thank you. Give me another hand. We, we, got to, we got feedback zooming around the room tonight. I don't know what the deal is. Um, everybody's stillborn. And if, if they will admit it, everybody will admit it, they can sense something's wrong. The whole world can sense something's not right, and they're desperately trying to make it right. What is it that they are sensing that's not right? They are spiritually stillborn. Their spirit is dead as a doornail, and they are not experiencing the life that they should be. They don't feel really complete. 
Uh, so it's given birth to lots of different religions and lots of different ways of people trying to reach out to God or people thinking, well, I just need things. I need money. I need drugs. I need alcohol. I mean, something has got to fix this. And as much as people will try, they can't fix it because you can't fix it. The only way to fix it is to be born again, to have that spiritual life brought back to life. And those who've had this experience know what I'm talking about. It's something's different. Wow. You know, that's, that's what they talk about. You know, I've seen the light or, you know, whatever. Different, people have all different ways of uh, verbalizing that experience. But it's being born again. All of a sudden, life comes in. And for everybody, it's, uh, it's a little bit different. Some people, it's very dramatic when they come to Christ. Some of it's like, like Paul the Apostle, when he first came to Christ, he's knocked to the ground. Uh, a bright light shines on him because he was persecuting Christians. And he heard Jesus say to him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, that's pretty dramatic, right? <laughs> I don't know if anybody's had that experience. I have not. But that was really rather dramatic. And then he gets up and he's blind. And he goes and then someone comes and shares the gospel with him, prays for him, and all of a sudden he can see again. He has a dramatic conversion experience when he is born again. Others, it's uh, very light, um, and it doesn't really matter, actually. Some people think, well, I, I can't really, God can't really use me or I can't be dynamic in the kingdom of God because I haven't had this dramatic experience. But that's not true. Some of the greatest preachers and, and influencers in the history of, of the Christian church uh, have had very mild experiences. I think of John Wesley. John Wesley was an amazing preacher. He was raised all his life as a Christian and was very devout and he studied hard and he was, you know, a... God could read and write, you know, not just English, but Hebrew and Greek and Latin. And I mean, this guy, he's sharp. He goes to America, uh, to uh, Savannah, Georgia. Actually, that's where he went. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Savannah, Georgia, but in the summer, it's like a block and a half from the gates of hell. It is... I don't think I've ever been in a place so hot and humid in my life. And I mean, it was horrifying. I'm thinking, they didn't have air conditioning back then. They even have fans, for heaven's sakes. Poor Wesley, he's there trying to minister to people and bring the gospel. To, all of this happens before he's saved. He does all this. Uh, trying to be as righteous and religious as he can and to a degree that most of us will never even experience. And he still wasn't born again because of, you know, he just hadn't had that internal experience. And then one day, it is, he wrote that he was listening to a sermon by, uh, and not on his iPod or something, but uh, when they say they listen to a sermon, someone's reading it. They would pass around sermons and they would read it. So a lot of times people would just go to church and someone would just read a sermon by somebody. So he's in a service, a guy gets up and reads a sermon by Martin Luther, who talks about, you can't earn your salvation. The only way you can get into heaven is through faith in Christ. And all of a sudden, it just clicked for him. And his dramatic conversion experience, being born again, he records as, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt my heart strangely warm before I left the house. Indigestion. You know, and I don't, you know we're not talking dramatic here. But all of a sudden, that was all it took for him. And this guy went on to win so many people into the kingdom of God and dramatic, actually had a massive impact on his nation of, of uh, England. So it all happens in various ways, but you have to be born again. Some, this has to occur. 
So what we have now is you cannot be saved unless you've been born again. So what is it? Which is it? Believing in your heart? Saying it with your mouth? Repenting? Getting baptized? Standing in your faith to the very end? Now, historically, evangelicals, which is kind of, you know, we don't really fit in the category, but that's kind of where we fit, is... Uh, have emphasized overwhelmingly believe and say it. That's what they've done. And they have spent, we have spent, uh, as people of faith, hundreds of millions of dollars in big evangelistic outreaches, small evangelistic outreaches, whatever it takes, all in a desperate effort to simply have people raise their hands, come forward, and say a prayer. And uh, they would always say, um, you know, when you meet with them, because you believe in your heart, and you said it. Now you're saved. You're definitely saved, and you can never not be saved. And this is it. And everything's perfect. Now, the, the positive side of that is a lot of people did come to Jesus through some of these meetings, and still some of these meetings uh, still occur. Um, the problem is, not everybody was saved. Just because you say it, you get you know. By the way, I don't know if you've ever noticed, because we pray a prayer of faith like that in every service on Sunday morning. You never hear me tell people, now you're saved. I don't say it, because I don't know if they're saved or not. They could be wonderfully touched, and their lives are transformed forever. Some of you have had that. And some people, they're no more saved than the man in the moon. The only reason they repeated the prayer is because everybody's repeating it. And I've heard people, oh, oh my, my cousin got saved because I heard him repeat the prayer. I've heard this all my life. No, sunshine, that, you don't know if he's saved. I mean, what about all this other stuff? But evangelicals spent just a fortune. And, and sadly, while they have done much good in bringing people to faith, we have convinced a huge portion of people that they are saved just because they re repeated a prayer. And I'm telling you, they're no more saved than my cat who's no longer with us. Praise the Lord. All right. Uh, in fact, in America, I forget what the percentage, I was reading the stats the other day, 75%. I mean, it's a huge percent of people. Maybe it's not that high, but it's really high. It's definitely over 50 of people in America who claim to have been saved. Do they go to church? No. Do they still live like the devil? Yes. Do they do anything, go to church? No, you know, but we convince them. Who's we? The evangelicals, say this prayer yourself. Okay, no, no, no. You know, and we got all sorts of versions of this. People say, well, you know, the Bible says if you believe. There's all kinds of people say, well, yeah, I'm good. I, I believe in God. You're kind of like, you know what? You know, it'll probably rain tomorrow. You know, I mean, it's no, it's no big deal. They say they believe and they think, well, that's, but it's not enough. I mean, which is it? Believing in your heart, saying it with your mouth, repenting, getting baptized, all these things. Then you have liturgical churches. Uh, and many of us have come out of those churches. Our church kind of sits in the middle of that, actually, all, because uh, we do some liturgical things, because, uh, you know, traditionally Christians have done this, and some of these things are very good and fine. But a lot of liturgical churches have taken the other tack. They have taken that scripture that says, you are saved by baptism. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? We've all heard this. As long as you're baptized, that's how you get saved. Mm, no, not really. But that's what the Bible says. Yeah, it does, but it also says, what, what's the answer? 
That's you got to do all of it. You got to do all of it. You have to believe. You have to say it. You have to confess Jesus before others. You have to repent, turn from the bad you're doing, and turn towards God. You need to be baptized, and you need to stick it out until the very end. Because you can do all these things, but if you give up before the end, what good was it? You know, it did nothing for you. So um, the truth is we need to do all of this. It's just interesting how various groups of people latch onto just one version of this and think, well, that's enough. And the truth is, you got to do it all. So, well, why doesn't one verse say it all? Well, I don't know, but it doesn't. But as you read through the scriptures, you see all these different pictures of this thing. And the reality is we need to do all of it. And um, the liturgical churches were, again, convinced as long as you've been baptized, whether you were conscious or not, because a lot of them were infants, they don't know what they're doing. But as long as they did this, then, then it's okay. Uh, or the sacraments, you know. They literally believe that when you take communion, you're receiving Christ into your life. Many of you have heard this, right? You were raised in some of these churches. That's how you ask Jesus, I took communion. No. No, you, you don't eat Jesus, okay? That's, that's not how this works. Uh, but that's the way that because it's not. If you do these sacraments, then, then all these things. So you basically have evangelicals who kind of sneer at the idea of, of sacraments and liturgical people who sneer at the evangelicals who they don't do or put enough emphasis on it. Um, now, when we talk about sacrament, what is a sacrament? The definition of a sacrament is a Christian rite or ritual, such as baptism or communion, that is believed to have been ordained by Christ, okay, and that is held to be a means of divine grace. So uh, this is how you receive the grace of God through sacrament. The problem is a lot of us did that in churches like this. We had no more grace on us than the man on the moon. You know, we were just, it was dead religion. He just stood up, sat down, stood up, sat down, kneeled, stood up, complained and left. All right. And, and, you know, and you did all the stuff they said to do, but it didn't really change your life at all because that's not how this happens. You're not going to suddenly walk in a glorious state of faith because you did some sacraments. All right. Then you have the evangelical version of this where they call them ordinances. A lot of evangelical churches call things like this ordinance. What is an ordinance? An or ordinance is an authoritative decree that is a visible sign of an inward grace. That's how most evangelicals view these things like baptism. It's just an outward sign of an inward work. That is not really, nothing really happens to you. It's just, you know, you're supposed to do it because Jesus said to do it. Which is, I mean, if Jesus said to do it, we definitely should do it. But I think that's kind of an extreme swing as well, because something does happen when you're baptized. Things can be a point of grace. If you're mixing it with faith, when you take communion or any of these other things that you do, um, God does show up and does some uh, wonderful things. So uh, for us at Celebration Church, we, we kind of find ourselves a little bit in the middle of all of this. And, uh, and we're open to, you know, some people will feel more strong in one direction than another that's fine. We allow for diversity of expression uh, here at Celebration Church. Everybody doesn't have to think exactly the same about everything. It's just we don't think in those terms. But uh, the point is, uh, whatever you do, it all has to start with the very first one that we talk about, believe. You have to take whatever you do and you have to mix it with faith. And then be obedient to the scriptures and do all these things. So there's a lot of people that say, well, I, I believe in Jesus in my heart, but I don't want to get baptized because I don't want to get my hair wet. As heaven is my witness, this I have heard many, many times. And if you're one of those people who really, that just freaks the willies out of you, just come see us. We'll baptize you 
privately so no one will see you with wet hair. And I mean that sincerely. We have done it. We have done it. We have literally had a private baptismal service for some women who just could not stand the idea of every, all of you seeing them look like a drowned rat. Okay. We can, we can work with that, honestly. I'm, I'm, just, I'm making fun of it, but we won't work with it. We'll work with anything. All right? Uh, but to say, well, you know, well, I don't have to be baptized because I believe, or uh, I don't have to do this because I believe, or uh, I don't need to tell it, let anybody Jesus know, know that I'm a Christian because I already believe it in my heart. No, you don't get to make up your own version of this, which is something that just drives me crazy. So many, a lot of this from young Christians today, you know, well, I know what the Bible says, but my opinion is, and I think, oh, seriously, you know, they have that much, be that moved by one's own opinion is just sad to me. I mean, seriously, you're the final arbiter of what is true? It doesn't work that way. Every individual doesn't get to do what's, what they think is okay. This actually leads to states of anarchy, where there's no rules, no regulations, everybody can do whatever they want as long as they think it's okay. No matter what it might be. Some people, it's minor, some it's major things. Uh, at the end of the day, the reason we have the scriptures, it, it becomes the guiding line. This is what we believe. This is who we are. This gives us our standard for life. Say, well, I don't like it. Well, so what? You know? A lot of people don't like giving money. What are things supposed to do as Christians? Give money. Well, I have a different opinion. <laughs> well, good for you, you know, I don't know. Anyway, so what we're going to be doing tonight is focusing on this uh, sacrament of Baptism. Where are my baptized people? We're going to get baptized. Where are they all at? One person. That's it? I think there were more than that. There you go. Oh, there they, oh, they're way over there. Staying away from me as far as possible. All right. That I understand as well. Okay. So uh, tonight they're going to be doing this sacrament of baptism because they've made a decision. They want to follow. They, they, become, they know who they are. They know what they want to believe. They believe in Christ. And they want to follow him in baptism. And tonight we want to just expect God to just bless them with a great sense of grace because this is something very, very cool and powerful for people to experience. It's not just something that you have to do. It's something that is very special to do. So, and when we do it, we want to mix it with faith. That's, we are of the kind of churches that we generally don't baptize infants. We don't hate people who do. It's just that, how do you mix that with faith if you're an infant? You don't know anything. Um, except that you haven't been changed or you want something to eat, okay? Well, then some people say, well, you can pray for an infant and God will bless them and give them grace. Well, yeah, but, you know, that's different than salvation. I don't think you can just have salvation for somebody else. I, just, I think you can pray for somebody else and God will heal them. I think you can pray for someone else and God will bless them. I think you can pray for other people and God will reveal himself to you. There's all kinds of stuff like that, but I don't think there's just no example anywhere where you can pray and believe for someone else. It just doesn't work that way. Again, there's people who think differently. We're not their enemies. We don't consider them an enemy. We just disagree, all right? I have friends who disagree with this, all right. But uh, you know, this is why we do what we do. Uh, this is why we uh, baptize people who are either adults or very young adults. I mean, at some point, uh, everybody becomes conscious of you know, taking personal responsibility. Um, in uh, Jewish teaching, uh, they celebrate when a child becomes a person of accountability. 
They call it a bar mitzvah. That's what a bar mitzvah is for. And then they thank God that they don't have to care of this kid, kid anymore. <laughs> it was actually prayers like that. It was pretty funny stuff. But then, of course, they still do it in today's culture. But man, you were an adult. When you hit 13, 14, you were an adult. Suck it up, buttercup. Get it, get to work. Let's make it happen. You know, I mean, they were just like, wow. Uh, so they celebrated this thing. Now, they use 13. We kind of leave it up to each individual. Some are very young, but they claim to. Yeah, I very much know who I am. I'm responsible for my own actions. I know what it is to sin and do wrong. I've asked God to forgive me. And then they want to follow in, in baptism. All right? So that's what all of that is about. So baptism is always presented in the scriptures in the context of salvation. And salvation, if you add it all together, has to come in the context of hearing, believing, professing, repenting, and baptism. All these things work together. I just don't think that you can separate all these things. It's, it's just not done that way. We need to do it all. We need to incorporate, we need to encourage all of it. So for me, baptism is about an individual where personal accountability comes to life in their life. They act uh, mixed with faith, professing that they uh, are followers of Christ, and then they receive the sacrament of baptism. So we hear the message, we believe the message, we turn from the wrong that we know, turn to God, and are baptized. And of course, in all of this, in the opening believing thing is when you're, when you're born again. So, and like I said, we don't reject those who think otherwise, but, uh, um, you know, would I baptize a, a dying child? If someone called me and said, you know, my wife just gave birth to a baby. They think he's not going to make it through the night. Would you come and baptize him? Yeah, I will, you know. I mean, just be kind to people, you know. No, I don't think that agrees with my theology, and, you know, it's too bad your kid's not, you know, what, what a jerky thing to do, right? I mean, you can still be nice to people and stuff. But generally uh, speaking, we think all this stuff needs to happen together. So is baptism an ordinance? Yes, because the Lord said to do it. But I think it's more than that. I think it has a sacramental part where there's a certain grace that is imparted to us that makes all of this real and powerful. Okay, now we often do the, uh, not often, every Sunday, we do the Apostles' Creed. Now the Apostles' Creed uh, started in the first, I can't remember when it was, but the first 100, 200, 300 years of Christianity when, when all of this was put together. And the reason for that was that they would teach converts this creed, which are the fundamental beliefs of the Christian faith. Um, some people, they don't necessarily agree with that because there's times in the Bible where people would just believe in Jesus and just get baptized. They didn't go to any classes. You know what I'm saying? And I get that. Uh, but we kind of encourage people to get a sense of what they're doing and why they're doing it uh, so that they get all of everything together. Um, and the fact that they did this, because in the early Christianity, they, they never baptized infants. They just didn't do it. This didn't come until hundreds of years later when they thought, you know, we should do something. And infant mortality was really high, and people were worried, what happens to my baby? Will it go to heaven? And said, well, I don't know. You can't go to heaven if you haven't been baptized. And they start jumping the gun on it. And then it became a tradition for, uh, in, you know, those types of churches for the last 1,500 years. They, they keep doing it to this day. Uh, but that's why all of that came. But in, in the beginning, it was all adults. And these adults were taught to memorize this creed because this creed uh, defined 
the fundamental Christian beliefs. This is what we always talk about every Sunday. This is what we believe. This is who we are here at Celebration Church. The creed doesn't cover everything in Christian belief. In fact, there's nothing mentioned in the creed about baptism. Okay? And a lot of people have different opinions about that stuff. And again, we try to allow for that. Uh, and again, even for those who think, no, I was baptized as a baby. That's all I need. Okay, fine. Uh, I don't think that way, but, uh, and I think they're missing the point, but, uh, you know, we allow for different opinion. Baptism, we don't argue about how to be baptized. You know, some people, they get into fights. Christians get into fights, all kinds of stupid stuff. We try to minimize stupid fights as much as possible here at Celebration Church. Most of the stupid fights are over me, how irritating I can be. But, uh, but doctrinally, we just, you know, someone says, some people believe that you can only be baptized in a river. They really believe this because Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. And all these people were baptized in rivers. And their view of it is when you go in the river, it washes away all your sins. No, the blood of Jesus is what washes away all of our sins. But if that's what they want, I'll take them down to a river. Why not? You know, their problem with this is you go in and your sins stick to you when you come back out because it's not flowing down. And, and I, I, just, I just don't think that's the way that works, okay? Uh, but we would allow for that. Like, there's all kinds of things that we just, not everybody agrees on everything. Uh, but we'll tell you what we think about virtually everything. But the Apostles' Creed, those are the main things. And this has been the proclamation of people of faith, Christians, for almost 2,000 years. All the other things that we talk about, argue about, debate about, between one church and another stuff, all those things came later. The one thing, that is one of the most established things that Christians have recited, memorized and recited, is the Apostles' Creed, because these are the fundamental statements of faith. Now, we always say it, we believe in God, la, 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 we believe in this, because we're doing that as a congregation. Originally, it wasn't, wasn't the we, the we wasn't added uh, until later, and some still to this day don't add the we, they'll say I. Uh, it was originally I because it was a, a personal uh, profession of faith that they would make. I believe in this. So we're going to do this uh, with our baptismal candidates, if we want to say, all, all of you guys are going to get baptized. All y'all come up here and stand down here. All right? Come on. There you go. All right. Everybody's going to come down here. And we'll say it with you so you won't just be seeing it where it's down here. Hi, sweetie. How are you? you, you look, looking, at, looking at me. Actually, not looking at me, but looking at the screen so you can see the screen here in a minute. Hi. Hey, guys. How's it going? All right. So uh, let's all stand together. And you guys look this way. Turn this way. Turn this way. Turn this way. Yeah. All right. There you go. So and uh, we'll put up on the screen. Okay. Here we go. And then you say this. We'll all say this together. Uh, this is your statement of faith. This is what all of this is about. Your decision to follow Christ. Okay? So this has been done for 2,000 years. Let's do this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven 
and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We got through it despite the slow button pushes back there. Anyway, okay. So, now what we're going to do is we're going to pray together, all right? So your profession of faith has now been made in front of everybody. God and everybody. This is who you are and what you believe. We're going to pray together, and then uh, you guys are going to line up there, and who's baptizing tonight? Pastor Phil and Joe are going to be doing the baptism. Um, so we're going to pray this prayer as well. A lot of times, every time someone, we'd have them come down there and answer, do they believe? And yes. And then they'd have an individual prayer. But we're doing this as a group. You have now made your profession of faith. We're now going to have the group prayer. And then we're just going to get in there and we're just going to baptize you. Boom, 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 boom. One right after the other. All right. So let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. And as we pray for all of these guys, we thank you, Father, for the water of baptism. In it, we are buried with Christ in his death, and by it, we share in his resurrection. Therefore, in joyful obedience to your son, we bring into his fellowship those who come to him in faith, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Deliver them, O Lord, from the way of sin and death. Open their hearts to your grace and truth. Fill them with your holy and life-giving spirit. Keep them in the faith and communion of your holy church. Teach them to love others in the power of the Spirit. Send them into the world in witness to your love and bring them to the fullness of your peace and glory. Grant, O Lord, that all who are baptized tonight into the death of Jesus Christ, your Son, may live in the power of his resurrection and look for him to come again in glory, who lives and reigns now and forever. Amen.